Tonight we continue looking at the book of Amos, looking at some things we can learn from chapters 3 through 6. Obviously we won't be looking at them in incredible amount of detail, but we will be able to learn still a great deal about the punishment for the various evils that take place in Amos chapters 3 through 6. So I want to show what we can learn from those who continue to rebel during the time of Amos. What we really are dealing with are those who had been punished by God previously, but they were still not coming back to God. Those who were still not heeding the warnings that were given by God. And so as we begin to go through this this evening, we begin by looking at uh, God here uh, condemning uh, those who were doing civil and religious injustices or the great evil that which these individuals were doing. We know as we begin here in chapter 3 that God begins by making himself known. He says here in Amos chapter 3 verses 1 and 2, he says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up in the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I, have I known all the families of the earth. Therefore I punish you for all your iniquities. We find here in verses 1 and 2 of Amos that God points out that he knows them, that they were once faithful to, them, to him, but that now they have departed and they have continued to depart and remain departed from God. They've remained in their sinful state and that God is going to continue to punish them until they either are just cast off by God or until they come to repentance to Him. What we find in verse 1, he says here, you notice many times that God reminds them just exactly who it is that's speaking. He says in verse 1, he says, Hear this, that the, hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up in the land of Egypt. When you're saying that the people who brought up the Israel out of the land of Egypt was, of course, the God of the Bible. It was the same God that was speaking to them now. So that would help them realize, remind them just exactly who it was uh, was speaking to them. And in verse 2 he says, that You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, or I say because of this, he says, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Now, if you were to read verses 3 through 8, we find the prophet's right to speak really is, is spoken of there, is mentioned there in verses 3 through 8 of Amos chapter 3, and how he was chosen by God to speak these words to them. But because of our, uh, because of our focus this evening, we're not going to look at that in great detail, but he does go into verses 3 through 8 there looking at the prophet's right to speak and how he was chosen by God to be uh, the messenger for God on this occasion. We continue, though, we find how oppressors are going to be punished as we look at chapter 3. Really from about chapter 3, verse 9, through about verse 3 of chapter 4, we find the oppressors and their various oppressions and things which they have done are being discussed there in the book of Amos. And we begin first by looking at chapter 3 of Amos, looking at verse 9. He says, Proclaim in the palaces of Ashdod and in the palaces of the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble on the mountains of Samaria, see great tumults in her midst, and the oppressed within her. For they do not know to do right, says the Lord. He store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall be all around the land. He shall sap your strength from you, and your palaces shall be plundered. So if you look here in verses 9 through 15, we find, you must say, the ruling class is mentioned in the various sins which they have been doing. He says here that they're going to be surrounded. Why? Because he mentioned back in verse 10, for they do not know to do right. They're not willing to do what is right. 
that know how to do what is right. Therefore, he says in verse 11, the Lord God has said, he says, an adversary shall be, shall be all around the land. He shall zap or sap your, rather, your strength from you, and your palaces shall be plundered. He goes on to say in verse 12, Thus says the Lord, as a shepherd takes in the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria in the, corner of a, in the corner of a bed on the edge of a couch. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, says the Lord God, the God of hosts. That in the day I punish Israel for their transgressions, I will also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel, and on the horns of the altars shall be cut off and fall to the ground. In verse 15, I will destroy the winter house along with the summer house. The houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall have an end, says the Lord. God is punishing that rolling class. He's taking away all those things they've been enjoying. He says in verse 15, their, their winter houses, their summer houses, their houses of ivory. Uh, the idea is simply being that all those places where they enjoyed, all those pleasures, all those things will be taken away. Because as we saw previously, we know from verse 13 and 14, that they were involved in idolatrous worship. They, worship, worship, they were not following after God. He says in verse 14 that in that the end of the day I punish Israel for their transgressions. He says, I will also visit destruction on the altars of Bethel. And the horns of the altars shall be cut off and fall to the ground. Why? Because they were not worshiping God. These individuals we know have been going off into idolatry and have been doing all types of wickedness. Including that would no doubt be oppressing people. We find there if you look at uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, how those who were enjoying luxury have a special judgment against them. Some refer to this as the luxury-loving women. But I think really we realize this applies to all, whether he's talking about women or specifically or men, it can apply to both. Because notice here in verse 1, I don't think he's talking to women alone. I think he's talking to all those who are loving luxury and they were just soaking it in while they're committing sin. And notice how he refers to them in verse 1. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. I don't think he's talking to women. I think he's talking to all of them. Because they have grown fat while doing wickedness. And so what's going to happen? Well, we recognize that God's going to take away those things. They're not going to be fat for long, so to speak. He says, You cows of Bashan who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, Bring wine, let us drink. How they, why are they prospering? Because they're oppressing others. He says in verse, verse 1 of chapter 4, He'll oppress the poor, who crush the needy. You say to your husbands, Bring wine, let us drink. He says in verse 2, The Lord God has sworn by His holiness, Behold, the day shall come upon you when I shall take, a, take you away with fish, with fish hooks, and your posterity with fish hooks. You will go out through broken walls, each one straight ahead, of, straight ahead of her, and you will be cast into harmony, says the Lord. So what we find there, he says in verse 2, that though you are fat, like fatty cows, now they're in verse 1, but in verse 2 and 3 he says they won't last. He's going to take those things away. Use the idea of using a fish hook and those things being yanked away very quickly there, verses 1 through 3. Next we want to notice these individuals did not learn from their previous punishments. They did not learn from the previous times that God had chastised them, that God attempted to bring them back to Him, how they have ignored the various chastisements of God. And in verses 6 through 11, you have numerous chastisements you can find there. For example, in verse 6, you find a general famine, which referred to as cleanness of teeth. Why? Because they have nothing to eat. They have nothing to eat, nothing to drink. A famine there in verse 6. 
drought there in verses 7 and 8. You find blasting and mildew and locusts there in verse 9. That is, all their things that have been growing, other plants are going to be destroyed. You find in verse 10, pestilence. And at the same time, enemy attacks in verse 10. And in verse 11, you find an earthquake and also burning. God was going to humble these people, as we see there in verses 6 through 11. As you look at verses 12 and 13 of chapter 4, you find what I call their doom. Looking at verse 12, Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. What did God just tell them? If he's telling you to prepare to meet me, it means that what? That people are going to probably start dying. He says, Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, because he's doing what? Because he's bringing a famine and drought and, and mildew and blasting and locusts and pestilence and earthquake and burning and enemy attacks. He says, do what? Prepare to meet your God. That's what he tells them. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. Verse 13, For behold, he, he who forms mountains, he creates the wind, who declares to man what, what his thought is, and makes the morning darkness, who tends he treads the high place of the earth. The Lord God of hosts is his name. He makes it very clear who's going to bring, bring these things against them. He's going, to, he's going to bring these hardships against them. It is God. And why? Because of their sin. He says there in verse 13, For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind, that be talking about the Creator, God Almighty, who declares to man what his thought is, the one who reveals what man's thought is without man having to say anything. We know Christ does that many times in the New Testament. It makes the morning darkness who treads the high places of the earth. The Lord God of hosts is his name. This is who they're up against. God, because of their wickedness. They looked upon God as being, as a being, you might say, that was to be flattered, but instead God was bringing doom upon them. Thus we find there in verse 13, prepare to meet thy God. In verses 5 and 6, we find an overthrow of the kingdoms of the, of the ten tribes in chapters 5 and 6. You begin in, verse, in chapter 5 by looking at uh, the lamentations and condemnations and warnings and even uh, some threats and, and even some encouragement there, but in verses 1 through 17, this is what you find. And we begin First of all, we're not going to be looking at all these, but we begin first in, in chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, looking at the lamentation over Israel. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 3, he says, Hear this word which I take up against you, a lamentation, O house of Israel. The virgin of Israel has fallen, she will rise no more. She lies forsaken in her land, there is no one to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that goes out by thousands shall have a hundred left. And that which goes out by hundreds shall have ten left to the house of Israel. What we find here is saying they're not going to go unpunished. If they go out, go out in war, they're not going to do well. They're going to fail. They have done what? They have done great sin. The idea of their, of their innocence being taken away. It's mentioned there, it's that idea of the virgin being taken away. And this is a lamentation over their wickedness. We find in verses 4 through 6, that they are encouraged to seek Jehovah, to forsake idolatry, and that they would live in verses 4 through 6. We also find in verses 7 through 9 that Israel 
Instead, return to righteousness and to unrighteousness. Instead of using the things which God was trying to use to bless them, instead of doing righteous things, they're instead doing evil things. Completely going against God. But also notice verses 10 through 15 of chapter 5. How this, un- the, um, this unrighteousness God was, would punish unless they turn and seek Jehovah. Looking at verse 10 through verse 15. He says, They hate the one who rebukes in the gate, and they abhor the one who speaks uprightly. This is what the Lord is seeing. They hate what? Rebuke. And they abhor the one who speaks uprightly, which means they hate what is good. They hate anyone who tries to correct them. He says in verse 11, Therefore, because you tread down the poor and take grain taxes from him, though you have built houses on a hewn, of hewn stone, yet you shall not dwell in them. You have plenty pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink wine from them. What is he ta- telling them? Those houses you built, he said you'll never live in them. Why? Because he's going to punish them. Those nice vineyards which they have built and they have planted, he says there in verse 11, he says, what? He says, you shall not drink wine from them. They do all these things, and God says you're not going to prosper, you're not going to enjoy them. You won't live in that house, you won't take wine from that vineyard. Verse 12, for I know, he says, you're manifold transgressions. That word manifold means an abundance. He knows there are abundant transgressions. There are numerous sins. He says, and your, he says your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. Afflicting the just and taking bribes. Diverting the poor from justice at the gate. Therefore the prudent keep silent at that time for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil that you may live so the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. You think about what the Lord is begging them to do. He wants them to come back. But notice just how much evil they're doing and what the situation in which they are living in. And no doubt we can see some similarities still today. He says they are afflicting the just and taking bribes. They're diverting the poor from justice at the gate, which means the poor don't get, you don't get any hope of justice at all. Therefore, the prudent keep silent at, at that time, for it's an evil time. The prudent do what? They don't say anything, most likely out of fear. Verse 14, seek good and not evil. And he says, why? That you may live. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. He says in verse 15, hate evil, love good. Establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnants of Joseph. If they will do what? If they will turn the tide, so to speak, right? If they will hate evil and love good, because right now, what were they doing? They were hating good and loving evil. Establish justice in the gate. Why? Because justice wasn't there. It says, if they will do these things, it says, it may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious to the remnants of Joseph if they will do these things. But yet we find in verse 16 and 17 an announcement of judgment upon them in verses 16 and 17. He says, Therefore the Lord God of hosts, the Lord says this, There shall be welling in all streets, they shall say in all the highways, alas, alas, they shall call the farmer to mourning and skillful lamenters to wailing, and all 
In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you, says the Lord. What's going to happen? They're going to have a time of mourning because God is bringing judgment upon them. We continue, we get, as we get to about midway through chapter 5, we find the first woe, that is, ter- the terrors of the day of Jehovah, in chapter 5, verses 18 through 27, the first woe. We begin first by looking at the terrors of the day in verses 18 through 20. Here the Bible says, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be darkness and not light. Now, isn't it interesting he says in verse 18, Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. He's saying, you're wanting the day of the Lord, he says, but what good is that to you? Because they're not doing what is right. Those who are not doing what is right, they should fear judgment day, not look forward, not, not look forward to it. He says, it will be darkness and not light. He says, it will be as though a man fled from a lion and, met, and a bear met him. Or as, a, as though he went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? Is, it is, not, is it not very dark with no brightness in it? Why is it very dark? Because of their sin. That's why these things are happening. He, says, he gives this idea of them trying to flee from things, but there's no escape. He said they run from a lion, they meet a bear. They go in their house, their hand on the wall. What happens? A serpent bites them. He says they should fear the day of judgment because why? Because they're in sin. Their heartless worship, as we look at verses 21 through 24, will not avert the day. That means they will not escape the judgment. They're heartless. You might say they're poor attempt at worship because they're not really trying to worship God in truth. If you read through that, verses 21 through 24, the Lord talks about how He hates the sacrifices they were doing. It wasn't true worship. It was just the appearance of it. They're going through the motions, and God says, I hate it all because it's not genuine. 25 through 27, He says, They have followed the steps of their fathers, and not followed after what is good and what is right. In chapter 6, we find the second woe upon the careless heads of the nation. In chapter 6, in verses 1 through 6, you have the luxury, loving, wealthy rulers described there in verses 1 through 6, how they loved their wealth and how they obtained it. In verses 7 through 11, you find the exile and destruction is certain. And in verses 12 through 14, which we're going to look at in just a moment, we find that they cannot, that they cannot, be, they cannot be averted by their foolish trust and power. Power in their, you know, power of the military, the power in the political realm, whatever it may be, they cannot escape it. And so he condemns their, their rulers who love luxury. He talks about how the exile and destruction was certain. And then in verse 12 through 14 he says, there is no escape. Look what he says here. He says, the horses run the rocks. There's one plow there with oxen. Yet you have turned justice into gall and the fruit of the righteousness into wormwood. You who rejoice over Lodabar, who say, have we not taken a carnament for ourselves, but by our own strength? Behold, I will raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, says the Lord God of hosts, and they will afflict you from the entrance of Hamath to the valley of Arabah. And so what is happening here in verses 12 through 14? They're trying to talk about how they will use their strength. He uses the idea here in verse 13, how they have said, We have not done these things by our own strength, by our own power. They forget God and they put their trust in feeble hopes of what seems here in military. (coughs) 
Next, we want to notice some lessons for us today. <clears throat> and one of the first things we want to notice is we want to listen and learn from God. Those individuals in the time of Amos, they were not listening to the punishments God was bringing upon them. God told them over and over again why these things were happening, and yet they did not listen. These people did not learn from God's judgment on them for their sins, and we must not follow that example. We know the Bible rebukes us when we are in sin. That's why it's good for us to read our Bibles every day, because it helps us realize at times we may be in the wrong, and we can repent of those things and make ourselves right with God. We must listen and learn from God and learn from His commands and heed His warnings. We also learn that no wicked person is safe. No wicked person is safe. The idea that the power of man can save you is false. We just saw that in chapter 6. Mankind, mankind cannot be saved by his own power. We also know that the phony attempt of worship will not save you. We also know that only genuine repentance that includes godly sorrow, that's the only thing that saves those who have departed from God. As we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, here the Bible says, Now rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. Why does the sorrow of the world produce death? Because it's not a genuine sorrow. Here we find, as we've seen through Amos, chapters 3 through 6, God wants genuine followers of Him. Not those who are offering up a phony worship. Not those who are putting their faith in their military. Those are saying, well, we've done this by our own hand. That's a very arrogant thing to say. We do nothing without God's blessings. Let us not grow so callous <clears throat> that we ignore warnings from God. This won't be on the screen, but if you go back to Amos chapter 3, and probably one of the most well-known verses in the book of Amos is Amos 3 and verse 3, where the Bible tells us, Can two walk together unless they are agreed? God and those during this time here were not walking together because they were not in agreement. They were going after sinful things. They were going, living in idolatry. They were doing all types of things, oppressing people, living in luxury based upon their sinful gains from all things they have done. They were not walking with God. So as we look at Amos 3 and verse 3, we look at that question. You notice here, will be back in just a moment. Let's just read verses 1 through 3 there in Amos chapter 3. Hear this word, the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up in the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known all the families of the earth, of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together unless they, unless they are agreed? You see the context there? They're being punished because they and God are not walking together. They are not in unity. They are not in fellowship together. Sin and wickedness does not have fellowship with God. Therefore, if we want to have fellowship with God and with one another, we cannot walk in sin. We also must remember, as we think about, we see all these things that God is doing, trying to bring these people back to God, back to Him. 
For example, if you look at, if you look at Amos chapter 4, <coughs> you'll notice in verse 6, in verse 8, in verse 9, verse 10, and verse 11. What phrase do you find that's common there? In verse 6, 8, 9, 10, and 11, Yet you have not returned to me, says the Lord. It's found in all those verses. God has done certain things to try to bring them back. And the common phrase we find there is, Yet you have not returned to me. And what happens? God brings punishment upon them. Well, let's not be mistaken, though. We are reminded from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 33, and verse 11, that God takes no delight in punishing wickedness, and we should take no delight in sin either. Ezekiel 33, and verse 11 says, Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his, eat from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? God wanted people to come back to Him. Did He punish them? Yes. Did He do so severely? Yes. Why? Because He did not want them to have to spend eternity eternally separated from God. So when you think about these things, see all that God has done, remember, as we reminded here in Ezekiel, God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. He wants them and says, we find here in verse 11, He says, Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? As you think about the things we learned here from Amos chapter 3, verses, uh, chapter 3 through chapter 6, we find that God wants them to come back. And again, one of the most common phrases in that section is, is the phrase, yet you have not returned to me. Let, us not, let not the same thing be spoken of us. That when we find that God is rebuking us through his word, that we instead return to him and not grow callous like those we read about here in the book of Amos. This evening, as you think about these things, we can help you and encourage you in any way. You can come forward now. Let's get every stand and sing the song that's been selected. Why keep Jesus waiting, waiting in the